This is the Love and Sex Unfiltered Podcast. Hosted by licensed marriage and family therapist and certified Gottman Method couples therapist, Sonia Jensen. Let's dive into the unfiltered side of what it takes to create communication, intimacy, and chemistry, not just in relationships with a partner, but the relationship you have with you. Here's your host, Sonia Jensen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Love and Sex Podcast. We are so excited to be with you again today. I'm your host, Sonia Jensen. And I am the real host, Ophelia Kinnersley. You're hilarious. You're welcome. <laughs> so don't let her fool you. She's behind the scenes and the upfront talent as well. <laughs> she keeps me in line. <laughs> I am the talent wrangler. The talent wrangler. There you go. She is planning some pretty cool things. We're going to have some neat episodes coming up. Yep. And we're also going to be working on a small like women's get together like a happy hour like to talk about sex right we absolutely are so stay tuned for that i think what we should do in the future is do like a happy hour live with like actual other women and we can have like a stage where we talk about like sex live and then have cocktails she literally just read that because that's what i have written down so but i I love your fresh idea sonia (laughs) you're hilarious this is how she treats me y'all you're welcome so today we are talking about conflict management. And you can tell we're doing a really good job of it together. We really are because I'm the one that manages the conflict that you create. That's right. I create tons of conflict, especially with my schedule. And, yes, she does. And Ophelia has to manage it and she's constantly hitting me. So, Well, I wouldn't say hit. Love taps. <laughs> Love taps. Love taps. This is how we talk to each other in real life, by the way. <laughs> All right. So let's dive deep into conflict management. I think this is a really important topic because couples will tell me all the time that like I'm sharing as clear as day what I want, what I'm feeling, what I'm needing, and my partner, we just explode. Like there's certain things we can't talk about and conflict is something we either stay away from or when we run full force into it, it's a nightmare. And so there are, I think conflict is a super healthy thing to have. Absolutely. Um, But a lot of people would not agree with me because the way that they move through conflict or what they learned about conflict in their, you know, families of origin was that conflict was not healthy and it wasn't safe. So all of us are trying to have better relationships, but not knowing exactly how to have better conflict. Right. So we either avoid it or it explodes. So I love this topic. Actually, my favorite thing to do is work with high conflict couples. Yes, like, let me take it all day. <laughs> yes. Yes. You love your intensives and you're very, very good at them. And I have... Did you hear that? She gave me a compliment, y'all. The first time today. Don't expect them regularly. I won't. I won't. So... I just feel so blessed right now. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. So no, I was going to say that I came from, or I have a husband that comes from a family that didn't have conflict. He's British and I just got back from England and even speaking to my mother-in-law, I would say, you know, my husband, his name is Neil. He grew up and you guys didn't argue. And she said, well, no, that's not true. We just didn't argue in front of the kids. Mm. And she came from a generation, she's 78 years old. And she said, in my generation, we just didn't argue. And she said when we did, um, they were pretty explosive in her mind. But she said, you know, 
looking back on hindsight, they really weren't. But she's like, I just didn't come from a generation of women didn't argue. You just didn't push the envelope. You you just did what they said. And that's just how it was. And so she said, I didn't always agree with my partner, but mm-hmm. we were just not supposed to cause yeah. conflict. And then here comes me. I mean, that's just not going to happen. So <laughs> um, she came in like a wreck. Right. I mean, well, I mean, you you obviously know my family and people when they look at us, they always think like I'm the troublemaker and I'm the one making all the decisions and I'm the one that pushing all the buttons. And I'm like between you and I or between you and Neil. Well, definitely between you and I. But and I'm older than you and I don't play that with you. Mm -hmm. But But I've been married longer than you. It means absolutely nothing to me. So I've been on this planet longer than you. Therefore, I am the superior one. And you already told everybody how old you are. So now they're going to be asking me how old I am. 17. Thank you. No, but I mean, everybody thinks like I'm the one in the relationship that like bulldozes over my husband. And I'm like, no, you need to listen to what he's saying because we're on definitely equal playing fields. Oh, yeah. For you for sure. Don't let the British accent fool you. I'm like, we. He's just really calm and quiet in front of other people. And then deadly. (laughs) Sonia's seen it. Sonia's seen it happen. And so. It's okay, Neil. It's okay. That's what she says to him. All the time. (laughs) Neil is absolutely fine. So, I mean, I personally think that when we are arguing, it can be not necessarily volatile, but obviously we can hit below the belt just like everybody else does. Mm. But we try not... We try not to make it a perpetual problem. We try to get right into the heart of whatever the issue is so it doesn't become perpetual and gridlocked, which are some things I read on the Gottman I am so proud of you. Like, I I feel like you're getting a mini Gottman certification. I was thinking about it, but just wrangling you makes it, I don't have time. So (laughs) only one of us can be the therapist. Oh my God, you're hilarious. Okay, so I grew up in a family where my dad was always traveling. He was always gone. So conflict would be him coming home and my mom yelling about how terrible my sister and I was and how many spankings we were going to deserve when he would come home and then when they did yell like it was it was a lot and they did not censor it there there was a lot of emotionality in there so I can't say like I love that they talked and I love that they fought through things and they're still together today but I don't know as if like I learned that conflict was healthy and that conflict went anywhere You know, and so I took that into my relationship. I had to have the dominant voice. I know that's shocking to everybody in our relationship for a really long time. And I would fight and hit below the belt to make sure that what I wanted was the thing that happened. And I think that really severely hurt my relationship. And we've definitely turned the course on that now because Eric had to like really get on me for that. Um, And of course, as I've learned and you know, done my graduate training and my postgraduate training and couples work and things like that. I've learned how to have healthy conflict. And that's why this podcast is so important to me is because I want to teach you all how to have healthy conflict as well. I think these tools should be readily accessible and easy to understand and, and utilize. We've talked a lot about the Sound Relationship House, which is the method that the Gottman Institute uses to put together all their research into an accessible format for clinicians to teach couples how to use. And so there's what we call the conflict management system of the house. And it's broken down into a lot of of, of little pieces. And one of the things we always acknowledge in the Gottman method is that it's understanding first, 
be poor problem solving when it comes to conflict. If, if both of you go in there fighting for your side, you're, end, you're going to end up getting exhausted and one person's either just going to totally cut out or like you guys are just not going to have a resolution. So you really have to to slow down and move into what we call accepting influence. You don't ever have to 100% agree with your partner, but you do need to understand where they're coming from. And you need to know what role you're in at the time, right? So I always say move into speaker listener role. And this is, I have to spend a lot of time talking with couples about what that looks like. When you are in the role of a speaker, you've brought a conflict or an issue up in the relationship. Your job is to talk about your own feelings and your own experience. So utilizing, like we talked about in previous sessions, the softened startup, I feel about what I need. I'm really exploring what this issue means to me and why it's important to me and what I really need from this conversation or from my partner. And the role of a listener is to create a safe space for your partner to explore their feelings with you. So making sure that you're giving them your full attention, soften your eye contact, make sure your body posture is turned towards them and that you're not like addressing their what they're saying with your facial expressions. You really wanna showcase that you're trying to understand. And you wanna move into a place of curiosity, asking open-ended questions. You know, An open-ended question is a question that cannot be answered with a yes or no. It's really seeking to try to figure out how your partner got from A to Z in this, in this issue, right? So you're telling me that you're really upset and, and that this is a problem we keep going round and round on. Okay, well, tell me how, if that's Z, how did you get there? Like what's been happening you know, in our in our relationship that has made you feel like this is something we can't talk about. And then after I've asked questions, I want to summarize that I'm hearing what my partner said, like not what I interpreted from them, but like really what I heard them say. And then I want to offer some sort of validation, like that makes sense to me, or I can understand like if you heard me saying this, that you would feel this way. Now, validation doesn't mean that I agree. But it means that I'm trying to understand at least a part of of your story. And usually, and and once that partner who's been speaking feels heard, you know, through the summary of the validation, they really feel like their partner's trying to understand them. They hear better. So then we can flip roles. And now the person who was the listener now becomes the speaker. Um, It is a formal way of going through conflict, right? But without some sort of format, Usually we're just, it's just shots fired back and forth all the time and we don't get anywhere. And a a great tool for this that kind of explains everything that I'm going through that I give my clients is what we call the Gottman Blueprint, otherwise known as the Gottman Rappaport. So you can search that online. I think Ophelia is going to be trying to tag it in in the links on this, Um, but it it goes through that. Obviously, you're going to have to be a little bit vulnerable For when sure. it comes to this. Yeah. And trust yeah. is key. Yeah. And so you're, we're pretending mm-hmm. you're with a couple. Right. They're not mm-hmm. in a trusting place. Yeah. And they're not ready to be vulnerable. Right. How are they going to approach um, a high conflict issue when those two key factors are in play? Um, that's a that's a really good question. And I'm actually going to put a pin in that because I'm going under- to I'm going to really explore that in a few minutes. Okay, here, you know, there there is something called the Zegnerick effect. 
Uh, the Zegnerick effect happens when we have all this unresolved issues uh, that it overpowers the positive thing that happened, right? Like, so say, for example, like you do the dishes together and every time you do the dishes together, your partner nags at you, right? They just nag at you, they complain, whatever. But then the one time, like now they're trying to make a change. And one time, like you're actually having fun. You're actually having conversations. You won't appreciate that one time because there's all this other times where it didn't go well. Um, And so talking through things, finding closure to them, telling your partner your feelings and your needs, hopefully, you know, ties up those loops um, and you can start having good experiences with each other again. So this takes a lot of practice and what, you know, trust is not built in one conversation. It's built through time and consistency. So trusting conflict, you're not going to trust in it right away just because one time it went well. And if you've had a lot of really hard conflict, using something like the conflict blueprint can be really hard without the support of a clinician because conflict has not gone well for you in the past. So be patient with yourselves. You know, one of the big reasons the Gottman uh, Institute like kind of got on the map was for their research on the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. When those are present in the dialogue of a couple, there's a high likelihood of of relationship instability. Um, And so we know what criticism is. It's a you statement. It's blame. That's why the anecdote to that is the softened startup. I feel about what I need. I'm not placing and assigning any blame. I'm telling you my feelings and what I need to feel differently. Um, And then you have defensiveness where, um, you know, I'm trying to fight for my side of things. The anecdote to that is accepting responsibility. And that can be as simple as saying, okay. And I would also add in there, be curious. If you're truly in a curious mind and you're not fighting it and you're asking an open-ended question that's not leading your partner to see it your way, you know, you're going to get much farther. Contempt is actually... Uh, the most deadly of these. And I mean that in all seriousness, the research showcases that the person who hears contempt from their partner actually has a higher likelihood of increased emotional instability and emotional dysregulation and also gets sicker more often and doesn't heal as well from illness. And contempt is where I'm talking down to you, like I'm a superior to you. I do this better than you. I would never do that to you like you do to me or name calling. And it's very severe. And then stonewalling is when, you know, my it's like talking to a brick wall. Like I'm talking to my partner and I can tell like they're completely disengaged or they're just ignoring me. The anecdote to that is self-soothing. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute and how and how that works. But you really have to, as much as I can talk about the four horsemen on here, if you have those four horsemen that are strong in your dialogue, you really do need to talk to a clinician and get some help because there's reasons why those are there. And I always say criticism is like the gateway drug to to the four horsemen, because when I jump in and like I said before in previous podcasts, the first three minutes of a conversation dictate its end. If I'm coming in at you all strong with all that you've done wrong and how angry I am, I'm going to be met with defensiveness. It's hands down. Absolutely. Right. And then because my partner is being defensive, I'm going to get even louder and more aggressive and talk down to you because I'm not feeling hurt. So then that moves into contempt. And then usually the partner who was once defensive either gets critical themselves or uses contempt themselves or they move right into stonewalling. 
So you really do have to be careful about criticism and starting off with that softened startup. 70-ish percent of what couples argue about is perpetual. Meaning, I always say when you pick a partner, you kind of pick a set of issues. (laughs) (laughs) that you're like, I am committed to dealing with this set of issues for the rest of my days. Um, Because we're two totally different people with different experience and understanding of how the world works and emotions um, and how we explore and express those emotions. And so if we go into every conflict that we have as if we can resolve it and it will go away, we're almost setting ourselves up for failure. We need to go into it Um, you know, 70% of what we argue about is perpetual and we don't deal with that well, meaning what are we fighting for instead of what are we fighting about, it will turn into what we call gridlock conflict, that when we touch it, it's explosive or we ignore it altogether or we get nowhere when we talk about this specific topic. So the the goal I have is always sitting with every person in in the relationship and figuring out what they truly are fighting for. Um, because it's usually one to three things that come up, specifically one or two uh, that come come up over and over and over again. And if I help you understand what you're truly fighting for, um, and we build in some level of empathy and understanding, usually, you know, we might not ever be able to get rid of the problem again because it's perpetual, but at least we're dialoguing about it. And then after both people are dialoguing about it and really trying to understand each other, then we move into a compromise. Now, a compromise, a lot of people don't have healthy relationships with the idea of compromise. A healthy compromise is when Um, Both people can identify their core needs, the things that by giving them up in this situation would be like giving up a piece of themselves. And then they focus on their areas of flexibility around this topic, when something happens, how it happens, who does it. But compromise is not perfect and everybody has to give a little bit. And the goal of a compromise is a temporary or partial step forward, meaning you will have to do a compromise exercise over and over and over and over again, assessing what worked from the last one and what didn't and what have we learned and what's the next temporary or partial step forward. And then going back to your initial question of like, when do you, you know, have conflict, especially if one person's really upset? And there's this idea, what I love about the Gottman Method is it recognizes people's physiological response to conflict. And trauma plays a huge role in this too in our upbringing and how we handle things. But when our body assesses a threat, a threat in a conversation, an old conflict coming back up that hasn't been resolved, it starts to hypersecrete adrenaline and cortisol. The fight or flight, right? We all know what the fight or flight feels like. And when the fight or flight is activated in our systems, our ability to practice empathy and to retain information goes out the window. And this is usually when couples are trying to fight. So you can guess it's not going to go well. Yeah, it's not going to go well. So a big piece of this is um, your heart rate when it is activated for people who are super when you're in the fight or flight. If you work out a lot, if your heart rate goes over 80 beats per minute or more you're an active fight or flight. If you don't work out a whole lot and you're relatively sedentary, if, you're, if your heart rate is over 100 beats per minute or more, you're an active fight or flight. If you have ADD, sometimes we have to watch it. 
um, ADD, ADHD, it can be over 114 or 120 beats per minute. So learning to monitor your heart rate will let you know if you're in a state to fight fair. We all have watches and things like that now that monitor our heart rates. But when you're in my office, I put a little finger thing on you and track your heart rate. And so it takes about 20 minutes of active distraction and relaxation for your heart rate to come back down, for your ability to practice empathy and to take in new information. So I say, like, learn when is a good time to fight and know your body. And like, sometimes I even come up with like safe words for couples, like, I don't know, pick something ridiculous like chupacabra or pineapple or something like that. And when you say it, it's like a shorthand way of saying we need a 20 minute, you know, time to decompress and then we'll come back and readdress it. But what often happens is like one person just leaves and doesn't tell the other person if they're ever coming back to talk about the issue. So then it escalates that person's response because they don't know that it's going to be dealt with. So if you do have to get out of there, you do need to say, I'm going to go take 20 minutes or I'm going to go take an hour and I'm going to go take a walk or decompress and then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about it. Now, 20 minutes is a a standard. If you've been fighting for a lot, 20 minutes might not be enough. But also if you're walking out and like stewing on your feelings, your system's not going to calm down. So you really have to do some active distraction, like read a book, uh, listen to this podcast or, you know, watch a show or, or take a walk and do some deep breathing. You have to move your mind away from the argument and then come back and utilize something like the conflict blueprint tool that we were talking about before. I didn't always know going into the relationship that it was okay to leave. Yeah. So, I mean, I was always taught you're supposed to deal with the issue right then and there. You can't go to bed angry and things like that. So I've learned now that it's okay to step away and to walk away um, and to come back and try to resolve it. Because when you're angry, nothing is going to get solved. Nothing. When you're yelling at each other and belittling each other about the tiniest little thing, nothing's going to get resolved in that moment. No, and of course, you're never going to learn to trust conflict because you both are fighting when your systems are physiologically not in a place for you to have any kind of constructive conflict. But when you're in the fight or flight, all you feel like doing is this whatever learned response it is. So if you move into fight mode, like you literally can't calm down without resolving the issue. And if you move into the flight mode, you literally can't calm down unless you're alone. And most of the time you see one partner being one or the other, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a mismatch there. Doing, saying I'm taking a 20 minute timeout, I'm gonna go do this and I'll be back tends to help both people the most. And then usually in my sessions, I will help couples create the, the things that they're going to do when they are in that 20 minute kind of space from each other. Uh, and you can do that too. It's as simple as, as writing three things down that I'm you know, going to go do. I'm going to go listen to music while I take a walk, or I'm going to go take a drive and run an errand, or I'm going to turn on my, my calm breathing app and I'm going to sit on my back patio. So respecting each other's need for space and need for expression is, is super helpful in making sure that you are giving yourself the best opportunity to move through conflict. And so... We are talking, we've taken our 20 minutes, Yeah, we've come back, you obviously don't want to go right directly back into the thing or the statement that made it all blow Correct. up. Yeah. So you're coming back in trying to say what, like, how are you going to try and get it to be from like gridlocked into trying to find something that you can mutually agree on to 
help this situation? Yeah, again, the answer to that question is, do you have empathy, right? And if you are lacking empathy, you're still not out of your fight or flight. So you really need to make sure that your system is fully calm and regulated. You might have to start and stop multiple times. Again, if conflict has been ongoing and you've never been able to have healthy dialogue around this topic, you might need a counselor to help you move through this. That's just all there is that having somebody there that can help kind of create the space and help with maintaining roles and understanding is going to be really helpful. You have to have empathy and you have to move into understanding first before problem solving, meaning you have to kind of put aside your own opinion of the issue while your partner is sharing theirs. And that person who is sharing needs to work really, really hard to not throw out a bunch of blame statements. I think that's going to, that's not just going to be, I think that's hard for a lot of people. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. You know, you're super angry. You've been angry for a long, long time about whatever this issue is. So for you to be able to lay it down, say, I forgive you, and then move forward is like, yeah. It, it sounds like you're drowning. Like, I just gave up control over something. Exactly. So there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of vulnerability. And again, this is why, you know, when we've talked about the other elements of the sound relationship house, like love mapping, being in your partner's inner world. If I know what's going on in my partner's inner world on a day-to-day basis, I have way more grace and understanding of maybe why they're reacting or why something's so important to them. Or I know their life and childhood experiences. Um, sharing fondness and admiration. I'm not just looking for all the things that you do wrong, but I'm also looking for all the things you do right. And I can acknowledge those things. Um, even when I'm upset, I, you know, the turning towards versus turning away. Like I feel like my needs are important in this relationship and I'm learning to verbalize them and my partner's learning to see them and try to meet them. If those things aren't happening, it's going to have a direct impact on your ability to manage conflict. Couples who can turn towards each other's bids for connection and see the good in each other and make space for each other in their lives are able to more quickly repair in conflict than couples who are not doing those things. So if you go to traditional couples counseling where all they're focusing on is conflict strategies and we're missing those other pieces, it will probably cause more problems in your relationship than will actually make it better. I am usually the third or fourth clinician that couples come to see. And usually what I hear is counseling before has made things worse. Okay. Um, so a really strongly trained clinician um, who understands the nuances of relationships and how things work together and how to balance out the friendship aspect of this couple and also helping to manage conflict is going to be really important. How do you know when you're sitting with a client, if this is the right, if the Gottman method for what you've been taught is the right thing for them? I mean, usually the Gottman method is really structured. It's really about education and interrupting old patterns. And if a a couple is willing to be educated and they are willing to see their old patterns and create new ones, then I think the Gottman method is totally worth it. Now, for some couples, it's not the end all be all. Sometimes I have to add in different approaches, like we call it emotionally focused therapy, where we bring in this lens of attachment. Sometimes it's sex therapy where I have to go into, you know, you know, different aspects of of what healthy sex is and provide education on that. So it's really about assessing the couple and developing a treatment plan that fits the unique needs of the couple uh, while using multiple different approaches. But I do believe that every couple is 
going to benefit from how the Gottman Institute uh, really assesses and provides structure and education into what makes a relationship work and, and how to maintain it. What would be some takeaways for right now to start today with helping with conflict management? First and foremost, come up with three things you're going to do when you get really um, in the in that fight or flight mode. Track your heart rate. Um, you Sometimes I just like can totally glaze out of a conversation or I just feel the need to go for the jugular and I don't even know why. That would tell you you're in fight or flight. So take notice of when your body is in the fight or flight and utilize the three tools that you've developed before. And the third one is, you know, recognize if your relationship would benefit from a therapist. There is no shame in in getting a therapist that you can establish a relationship with that can help you through some of these tools. And then you utilize them as needed down the road. Give yourself a lot of grace too, because we weren't all taught how to have healthy conflict and healthy relationships. And so if you were never taught it, how are you automatically going to take one podcast and make a total change on your life? Your system does what it does to protect you. And it has these learned patterns of behavior that may have served you long ago, but don't serve you now. So getting in touch with a counselor to help connect those things and understand why you react the way you do and what you're really looking for can be extremely beneficial. Excellent. Thank you so much, Miss Sonia. Thank you. We can't wait. Check us out on Instagram at the Sonia Jensen. We are posting material up all the time and would love to interact with you and hear what topics you'd like to hear about. There you have it. If this episode hit home for you, take a second to share it with a friend, screenshot it and share it on Instagram or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to learn more tips and stay connected with Sonia, follow her on Instagram at the Sonia Jensen. And if you want to find more information, you can check out her website at www.soniajensen.com. Until next time, remember, stay real, stay unfiltered, and dig deep.